All right, if you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 4. 2 Kings, chapter 4. I'm going to read what is, I hope, a familiar passage to most here. 2 Kings, chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. This concerns the prophet Elisha and the Shunammite woman. And we're going to be reminded of that wonderful story here as we read through it. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's holy word, please do so. I'll be reading through verse 37. Second Kings 4, beginning at verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a, woman, a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that they may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, All is well. And she saddled the, the donkey and said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi's servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, 
and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and said, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again, walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. Some years ago, quite, okay, many years ago, I read a story. I was looking uh, in vain for the original source of this story. So in the, in my, the cloudy halls of my ancient memory, some of the details of this uh, story uh, may not be quite accurate, but Basically, it was a story, I believe it came out of the Korean War, um, that uh, it was a, a woman who was a widow, had a small infant son, driven out of her home because of the wartime stuff that was going on around um, middle of winter, and those winters could, uh, can be terribly harsh. And uh, she was traveling between villages and caught in a blizzard, and she uh, found a place under a under a bridge, and wrapped up her infant son uh, in her coat, in her clo- what clothing she had, and wrapped around her and imparted whatever warmth she had. And the next day, uh, she was found frozen to death, but the child was still alive. And then I was reading in my search, trying to find that story. <laughs> um, I found a whole bunch of other stories about mothers who sacrificed their lives for the sake of their children. It was just. The last one I read, just to put yourself in that position, would be just horrible, but a, an apartment fire down in the Phoenix area a couple years ago where uh, a mom, she's like on the second floor, apartment's engulfed in flames, and she's, she's getting her children, t- tossing them out to neighbors uh, up over the balcony while she herself is on fire. And uh, she succumbs, but she wanted to get her children out, saved her children's lives. You know, that kind of thing happens a lot. I saw lots and lots of stories like that. And most of these things we probably never hear of. Um, and yet, moms and, and dads too. There's a lot, I saw quite a few stories there as well. But um, I want you to think about the thing, things that, kind of thing that you would do for your children moms, what kind of sacrifices you've made, what kind of sacrifices you would do, even to the very point of giving up your own life, that is something that often happens. Um, But that kind of thing is 
I mean, there can be a moment's notice, perhaps, well, she was really a great mom, uh, one of the bystanders said. You know, she always took her kids to the pool. And I thought, I realized that in times of trauma like that, you, you might not really know what to say, uh, but it's like, yeah, she just gave her life, but the thing that I think of making a great mom is she took her kids to the pool. And it, sometimes, as human beings, the way we work out criteria about what makes somebody great and what makes somebody a good mom or makes somebody a good dad or a good person in general can be a little bit odd sometimes. Motherhood is judged by a very different criteria, however, in the scriptures. And I want you to take a notice here. Now, this story is primarily not about the Shunammite so much. It's about showing the, the, the power of God upon Elisha to, this is about raising the dead. This is one of the, the, uh, one of the incidents throughout the scriptures of the raising of the dead that sets the stage for what Jesus Christ would do to uh, redeem us from our sins as he conquered death and rose again. But as a sizable sub-theme in this story, there's this picture of this woman who, it's, it's not that the um, author of Second Kings goes to say, now I want you to notice something about this woman's character, but just in the telling of the story, he reveals some things about this woman that I want to uh, explore with you. She's described in verse 8, it says wealthy, and that's an interesting translation uh, here in the ESV that it could be taken that way because the word can speak to an elevated social status or financial status. But there's another, uh, another meaning behind that word that I think is probably better um, overall for, for what we see about her character here. Though I, I'm pretty sure, I would guess, uh, but with a pretty <coughs> high rate of certainty in this guess, that the translators of this particular section um, were going from the idea that, well, she had enough money to build this addition on their house and do all this stuff and take care of them. So clearly they had some means. Um, okay, fine. But more important than her means uh, to do all these things were the, the, the heart that motivated these actions. This word can mean noble or worthy. Um, it can, it, it can be translated as great or important. This is a significant lady. She and I presume her husband were uh, notable people in the area where, where they lived. But there was more than just the position that she had. It was also the nobility and the greatness of her character. She had a heart that was noble. And this uh, noble, notable woman uh, sets forth an example for us, not just not just for the moms here, um, though um, that uh, confess that that is what prompted the message today, but nonetheless for all of us to consider what really makes our hearts notable and great is shown in our actions, and this woman's actions show those characteristics very well indeed. First thing I want you to notice is in verses eight through eleven, this woman had a heart of hospitality. She had a hospitable heart. That hospitality revealed a tender concern for others. 
So here we have in verse 8 that the, uh, as Elisha uh, came by one day, um, reading between the lines here, uh, they ran into each other somewhere, perhaps on the path, on the road out in front of their house or something else. Um, she immediately said, hey, come on in and get something to eat. And you'll notice that not only did he, did that, did he do so, but then every time he went back, Elisha was not a dummy. He uh, was not going to turn down a meal. And so every time he went back, that hospitality was shown and uh, I'm sure very gratefully received. Every t whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. This, this just, it's a simple thing, but it shows a tender concern uh, for someone else. Not just thinking of herself and her position. After all, she's, she's noteworthy in the community, she's upstanding pillar of the community in all likelihood, uh, who uh, certainly had lots of things going on. Um, her husband's busy in their fields. Who know, knows what other enterprises they had going on. But she looked, she saw a need. Uh, she didn't uh, think of herself as uh, above, uh, you know, asking someone to do something as simple as a meal. You know, no, no grandstands, no parades, no send out a public you know, a, a service announcement. <laughs> you know, look at the wonderful things I'm doing. She's just, she sees someone who has a need and she seeks to meet it. Hospitality starts there. It starts with caring about somebody beside yourself. And she certainly is showing that, that hospitable heart, that tender heart of concern for others. But she is not someone who just says, well, I just want to do something. She starts to look at the need of what's going on and he sees he's coming by pretty frequently. Yeah, it might be for the food, but it's probably because he's got other things going on. He's got some business going on. Uh, we're not told all the reason why Elisha would go through there frequently. It doesn't matter. She is, however, paying attention to the fact that he's coming through here. He's a long ways from home. He needs a place to stay. Um, even then, you know, while they didn't have the old Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you thing going on there, hospitality was taken care of by, by families. I mean, there, there would be inns along the way as well, but people opened up their homes to travelers. It was the standard thing. And she's paying attention to this and seeing that he's coming regularly. She's, she's observant, in other words. One of the things that, uh, when, when my wife and I used to travel, uh, for Bob Jones University. Uh, we always were put up in people's homes. Um, and uh, sometimes we'd stay for a week, sometimes it'd be for a night or two. But, uh, and it, we always appreciated the hospitality of those that, uh, that extended that to us and opened their homes to us. But uh, we could go through, if, we, if you sat down with us, even all these, however many years later, 30 Anyway, longer than that. Almost, almost 40 years. Yikes. Um, anyway, we could still tell you stories of, those, of, of particular families who went above and beyond. When you walked in, they just, the things that you needed were there. They just anticipated what you needed. Uh, and, and we learned a lot from that. Uh, we've tried to exercise that in the subsequent years when we've had people to our place and think about, oh yeah, maybe they need laundry, maybe they need this, maybe they need something else. 
and, and try to be a little more observant than we might not otherwise uh, be because we hadn't had those experiences. This woman showed her hospitality and having this observant, an observant mind. She looked around, she saw the need, and she did what she could to meet it. And, and, and this, the tenderness, the concern there, the, the noticing of what people's needs were issued forth into action. And this hospitality then wasn't just a feel-good thing, like, sure hope, you know, be warm, be filled, but she took action to make sure that it happened. And she urged upon her husband uh, to, hey, we need, to, we need to put an addition on the house. Now, um, I don't know if in Shunem, if they had building inspectors or anything like that, but maybe it wasn't quite as much of an ordeal as sometimes putting an addition on our, our, pla our places are these days right? Uh, construction mess and all that. Living in the middle of a remodel or a construction project. Uh, they probably put this on top. Uh, I believe they put this on top of the roof. Yep. It makes a small room on top of the roof. And, um, and, and fully equip it so that it would be ready to go so that when, uh, when uh, he showed up, they'd have a place to stay. This is, some of you probably have heard the term prophet's chamber that some churches have. Um, it, it's, that's what our harbor house is out here. That's sort of the motivation behind that is coming from this story of wanting to be a church that's hospitable to those who need it and to have it fully equipped so that every need that they might have could be met. And that is, and, and, and there are churches around the country that do that kind of thing too. Um, the, just so that when people coming through, if they have a need, they have a place to stay. Anyway, uh, there would be some expense there. Whatever was needed, she said, let's take care of this. And the husband agreed, and they got it built. So then the next verse is like, one day he came there, and boom, there it is. And it's, it's taken care of. And he turns in there um, and rests. And I'm sure he was very appreciative of that hospitable nature that she showed and the generosity, uh, the tenderness of her heart without any... You don't get any hint that, oh, well, I suppose we should do this because after all, you know, we live in the Middle East where we're supposed to be hospitable with strangers, so okay. Uh, you, you really get a, an attitude of delight in wanting to do this here. Now, there's something else about this woman uh, that is notable. The nobility of her heart is not just in the care that she shows for others, but verses 12 through 17 show us another side to her. Okay, so we've got the, the first part of the story is, all right, it, it's kind of introductory. It's telling us about who she is. It reveals a little bit about her character and, and how she and Elisha uh, meet up and get connected so that the rest of the story makes sense as to what happens next. So in verses 12 through 17, Elisha is looking at this and saying, you know what, we need to show some gratitude here. This is, this woman has done this for us. This is a a blessing. What can we do for her? So she sends, he sends Gehazi to talk to her and she tells Gehazi, um, you know, basically um, nothing. We, do, we get, she stands before Gehazi and um, she says, well, what can we do for you? You know, is there, can I speak to you on behalf of the king? Well, that'd be a pretty good thing. You know, a little, maybe a little 
favor here, a little extra, some kind of, um, you know, who knows, relief from taxes or whatever else doesn't tell us what the details are here, or or perhaps uh, to the commander of the army, maybe, uh, I've thought about that, and, you know, what what would the commander of the army, well, maybe some extra protection, or, uh, you know, we've we've got uh, uh, friends here um, in the police force that I know that uh, from time to time um, take a little extra turn past where our children live, just because they know our, they're our children, and they just kind of keep an extra eye out. That sort of thing. That's nice. That's a blessing. Um, but, you know, um, it could also be in that day, of course, the kings would require um, uh, service uh, on behalf of, uh, of uh, families that would contribute their children and so on. And, um, or she has no sons or daughters at this point, no sons, but maybe there's some future recommendation with the family or with the home, some protection or some favor from the army, uh, maybe a commission down the road for somebody in the household. Who knows? Not sure what, but some favor. And she's like, no, no, uh, that's not gonna, I don't need that, don't need that. I, she says, I, I dwell among my own people, which is a, a, a way of basically saying, I'm content with what I have. I have everything that I need here. I don't need anything from anywhere else. What that tells me is that this woman's heart is a heart that is content. A heart of contentment is a characteristic of a noble and notable heart. Um, Content in a a couple of different ways. Uh, Verses 12 to 13, as we've already talked about here, she's, she's content, I believe, with her position. She's not looking to raise her social status. She's not looking for special favors. She's not looking for any of that. She is content to dwell where she is with what she has. That dwell means to remain or to abide. Now, I know um, that contentment is something that is often elusive, not just for, for uh, you know, women, but also for men, for all of us. But... Uh, I think in, in talking with a number of ladies through the years, um, I think it's safe to say that uh, there are times when you might wish you could do something else or have something else or experience something else, particularly in the, maybe in times of the drudgery of housework and that sort of thing that never seems to end. Uh, my daughter has a sign that, uh, that I like. I walk into her house. It says, uh, I cleaned the house yesterday. Sorry, you missed it. You know, it just seems like you get those things done and then voila, it's, you got to do it all over again. Um, that kind of thing, you know, we, we chuckle about, but it, part of that chuckling is trying to deal with, yeah, it, it's part of the, what sometimes can seem like the drudgery of life. Uh, this lady was content with where she was. And that contentment was not just with her position, but she was also content with her family. Now, you, though you get a little bit, if you read between the lines a little bit here, um, there's that Shakespearean line, methinks thou dost protest too much. You get the idea that perhaps in her heart's desire, she would love to have children, but she, didn't, she feared the disappointment 
and there, it hadn't happened yet. Now her husband's old. She seemed to be resigned to that, accepting of God's providence in her life. And she was content with that. And, and so content with her family situation. She does so without any presumption. When Elisha says to her, um, uh, okay, you're going to embrace a son. Um, what does she say? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, no. no, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. Don't lift up my hopes like this. I'm not going to presume here. It never occurred to her to, uh, to seek some remarkable favor or miracle just because she built him a house, built him a, a, an apartment. She was content without presumption. And yet, in that contentment, I have the word in my notes here, uh, therefore, your resignation. And the more I looked at resignation, I thought, eh, I don't like that word. But I'd already printed them, so there you go. Uh, I'll, I'll say acceptance. Acceptance of her situation. But with some hope, I think, uh, if I am reading this right. Do not lie to your servant. You, you get the idea that it's like, oh boy, you, you're not kidding me, are you? because I wouldn't want you to kid about a thing like that. And so, uh, in the normal course of things, she does conceive. And uh, just as Elisha said would happen, she bears a son about that time the following spring, just as was said. She's got hope in that heart of contentment. You know, for us, there's a, a great book. If you've never read it, uh, I, I would uh, encourage you to do so at some time by the, uh, uh, the author Jeremiah Burroughs. B-U-R-R-O-U-G-H-S. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote lots of great books um, uh, there during the uh, Puritan era. He uh, uh, wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And if you've never read it, you should. And we'll walk you through the biblical understanding of what it really and truly means to be content. And whatever our circumstances are, whether we're wealthy and have a place of position in a community or not, whether we're just, as far as the world's concerned, a bunch of nobodies uh, and have very little, it, to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in is something that we should seek after and is truly a gift from the Lord. And it's something unfortunately, that is increasingly rare in this world. The, James says, where do all the wars and fightings come from among you? Do they not come from the lusts, the desires that war, you know, in your heart and that, that bring you to odds with everybody else? You, you lust after something and you cannot have it. You desire this. It's withheld from you. And, and so all of the conflict in the world comes from a lack of contentment with station, with power, with possessions, with territory. Um, all that you see going on in the turmoil of the world here now can be brought back, yes, to sin and to pride and all of those kinds of things, but the sin of, content, of discontent is right at the heart of it. It's just not happy with what we have. We've got to have more. This woman was... Yes, there were things that she would clearly 
would delight to have. But she was content in, in the Lord. And that shows a heart of nobility, a mother's heart uh, in this particular case that uh, we should emulate. And then finally in verses 18 on to the end of the section. Now, a big part of this section is about Elisha and what he does to bring the child back to life. So I'm not really going to focus so much on that as tempting uh, as that is because there's some really cool things about there. Why, why did he do this and why did he do that? And resist the temptation to go there. and Let's focus on what the woman does uh, for our purposes here today. I want you to notice some, this final aspect of her heart. We've talked about a heart of hospitality. We've talked about a heart that is content with what uh, God's providence is in, uh, in her life. But this lady, um, you, I just really admire this lady. She has a heart uh, that is very determined. Very determined. Uh, for, and it wasn't that she was being disingenuous about, you know, oh Lord, don't, you know, oh my Lord, don't lie to me uh, about this. Uh, once she got a hold of the idea, she didn't let go of it. She was a mom all in. And so as her child grows, we have a, you know, a, time of, uh, a period of time has passed. The child's old enough to go out among the reapers. We're not told exactly. He's all, obviously old enough to be speaking. Um, and uh, whatever he, whatever's going on in my head, my head he has some kind of, whether it's a heat stroke kind of thing or it seems more likely it's probably something along the lines of an aneurysm or something along those lines. But anyway, he's got this intense pain. The father says, go ahead and take him to his mother and brings him in. And the child uh, sat there. She held him, caressed him uh, until noon when he finally died. Doesn't say why they didn't try to seek out a physician. Maybe there wasn't one in the area. Uh, we're not told that. Uh, the mother is trying to comfort him. Those of... Now, I, I know in my, my wife's case, uh, this is very true, and I suspect this is true for every mom in here. When you've, uh, if you've had sick children or a grown-up sick child, like your husband, um, sometimes, because we need, you know, when we get sick, we, get, we need stuff. Um, but I've watched the patience of my wife that far exceeds mine to sit quietly by a bedside of the sick and the sorrowing. That is remarkable. That kind of determination is what this woman possessed. This is the kind of stuff that makes her noble and notable more than anything else. So she's determined. She does what she can and then he dies. And then I think what she does next is remarkable. She doesn't take him to his own bed or even the bed of, that she and her husband share. She takes the boy upstairs and lays him on the bed of the prophet. This, this woman shows determination in a couple of different ways. In verse 20, the sitting there until noon uh, demonstrates incredible love for her child. 
and a desire for his well-being. That determination is driven not just by love, though, but it's also driven by faith. And I think that is what's behind taking him upstairs. Uh, she, she is not putting her faith in anything else but the God of Elisha. And that, when you have that kind of faith in the Lord... Um, your determination will not be uh, unrewarded. She has this. He's, her heart is full of faith. Look what we see here, verse 21, down through 26. She goes and lays him up there. She shuts the door and goes out. Doesn't tell her husband what's happened. This is remarkable. Okay, if I'd have been her husband and I found out what happened, I'd probably be a little irritated. But uh, then maybe not so much since my child would be restored to me. But in my flesh, I think I probably would be. She doesn't tell her husband. She just goes to him and said, hey, can I have a servant and a donkey? Can I have the keys to the car? I need to go take a trip. And she, he says, well, it's not anything special. What are you going to go see him for? Well, okay, let me tell you something. Uh, pastors don't just like to only be seen on Sundays. I just want that to be known. Okay, doesn't have to be Sunday for you to come want to talk to me. All right. But the husband kind of had that idea. Well, why would you make that special trip just to go see him? It's not a special day or anything. Uh, but she says, "No, I need to go talk to him." So her husband says, "Okay, fine. Here's the donkey. You know, make sure it's filled up when you bring it back. That kind of thing." So she saddles him up and says to the servant. And I love this. Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. This is pedal to the metal, buddy. Do not slow down. She's determined. That, that's, that's, that tells me her determination and her intensity and her drive. She's not lackadaisical about this at all. She's not even thinking, oh, you know, well, I wonder if this is even worthwhile. She is on a mission to accomplish the good for her, for her son. And I do believe it is because she knows that if anyone can help in this situation, it would be the prophet Elisha. Now, because Elisha is, is the man of God. You notice that after the beginning, when Elisha is named every other time, his name's not mentioned. It's always the man of God, the man of God, the man of God. And that's taken from her assessment and what she says to her husband. I know that this guy is a man of God. And so everything is driven by that faith in the God of Elisha. Well, the determination can also be driven by distress sometimes. And she, in the fact, besides the fact she says all is well to her husband, and she says all is well to Gehazi, I kind of wrestle a little bit, wrestled a little bit with that and thinking about, okay, this is not true. All is not well in one respect. And yet on the other hand, um, all is well if you are driven by faith because you know that in spite of what the outer circumstances are, you're not deterred from that faith because God has it in hand. 
To me, though, that all is well statement. She's not, she's not wanting to go into the details. But she is saying, no, it's, it's going to be fine. Because my Lord has this. And uh, so she is determined. But her mother's heart does come through. It doesn't mean that just because you're determined and you're the strong woman that you don't have tears and you don't have times of distress and, and struggle. Oh, when she gets there, um, uh, uh, Elisha sees her coming, tells Gehazi to go down and greet her. And uh, she doesn't want to talk to Gehazi. She wants to talk to Elisha. And, but for some reason, and this is one of those details, I'm just not going to take time to go into it. For some reason at this point, God hid this from Elisha and wanted this woman to reveal what was going on to him. So she comes and she grabs her, grabs uh, his feet. Uh, this is a, a posture of total subservience. Um, and pleading, and basically saying, did I not tell you not to lie to me? In other words, you get, I got a son, but now he's being taken away. So I don't have a son. Um, she is distressed. And, he, and so Elisha says to Gehazi, tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you're not familiar why you would tie up your garment, try running in a skirt, guys. Um, when we were over in Myanmar several, we've been in Myanmar several times and, and worn, I, there are photos of this around, but it will not be shared of me wearing the traditional Burmese garb, which is basically a wraparound skirt, um, and flip-flops. But when they want to work, they, uh, they, they take the garment at the bottom and they pull it up from underneath and tuck it in so it makes kind of pants. And then they can actually work or run or whatever. What, what he's telling Gehazi to do is, you're not out for a saunter here. You need to hurry. So tuck it up, get it out of the way so you can run and, and get there and do what you can. So Gehazi does that, but, but um, is not successful in bringing the child back to life. Another aspect of this distress, as distress in the midst of faith, that you see here is that in verse, um, uh, uh, sorry, verse thirty, he sends on he sends on Gehazi, and you would think, well, maybe the mom would want to go down and see what if that was going to be successful. But she's basically saying, I'm not content. Here's her determination: I'm not content unless you come with me. I'm not going anywhere without you, Elisha. You've got to come. You've got to do this. And so that determination um, helps, helps her help Elisha, remember, to go on and do what he needs to do. So he, he gets up and he, and he uh, follows her along. Gehazi is unsuccessful and then comes back and tells them that. Well, I think as I read the story then, you know uh, what Elisha did. Goes up and um, lays himself on top of the child and then gets up, walks around a bit and comes back and does it again. The child sneezes. There's all kinds of little details in here that are just tantalizing to want to talk about. But what I want to get us now, the child's been raised again. This woman whose faith has been shown to be well-placed uh, comes in when the child has been raised again and 
she comes and Elisha says, pick up your son. In other words, uh, you know, take him off the bed. You, he, he's, he's all yours. And she falls at his feet, bowing to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. Her determination is tempered by something. Sometimes when you're determined about things, particularly if you've got a plan, you've got some, you know, you've, you, you can see here that she has worked very hard. She's, she's got a plan. She's worked the plan. She's done all these kinds of things to, to get that prophet down there, to get it taken care of. And, and um, sometimes when that happens, we can just take the results that come, good results, and take them and walk out without what she did before that, which was to bow at his feet. Um, that doesn't mean that she's worshiping him, but this is ingratitude. Determination in a noble heart um, is going to be tempered by gratitude. And by extension, that, that means by humility. There's a lot of people that are determined in this world that are hideous human beings and have caused immeasurable harm in the world because of determination. Because they have no gratitude for anything and they have no humility, they only feel entitled. This woman did not feel entitled. She's, her noble heart, her noble mother's heart did not feel entitled at all. She didn't feel entitled to having a son. She didn't feel entitled to having all the blessings that she had. She didn't even feel entitled clearly to even get him back. But she was, by, by faith, knew that if that was going to happen, she knew where to go. And she was grateful to Elisha and grateful to the God of Elisha for giving back her son. Now, in all this description of her as this noble lady, Hospitable, content, determined. There's not a word here about the gifts that the mother gave her son throughout his life. There's not a word here even of whatever discipline she may have administered. There's not a word here about the teaching that she imparted. I'm sure she did all of those things, and those things are important. But the focus and determination, uh, the focus of this passage uh, the criteria for what makes a, a woman notable and, and, or anyone notable and noble uh, is not related to the stuff we give or the stuff that we do necessarily. She gave of herself to Elisha, to her family, and, and to her Lord. She, when we, uh, in the scriptures, we're told, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So honoring our mothers is a God-given command. Doing so when our mothers are noble-hearted is a God-given blessing. So I would ask you ladies, what is the condition of your hearts? And guys, I hope you've been listening too, because your hearts should be the same, honestly. What's the condition of yours? so that you are truly worthy of honor. I trust that this mother's heart that we've seen here in this, this passage this morning is an encouragement to all of us to walk with nobility uh, and honor before our Lord.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the, this incredible story that we read here. It's just almost like a, a sidelight about this, this little vignette of this woman um, and what she experienced. We don't know her name. We only know where she was from. We don't really know anything about her except that her character, her actions revealed a character of nobility and greatness that goes well beyond anything the world thinks. Lord, let our criteria for greatness and nobility be taken from this passage and many others. Let us truly be hospitable. Let us be content with the things that you give to us. Let us be determined to walk by faith and not by sight, determined to see your name glorified and turn all things over to you in due course. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do among us. In Christ's name.